Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. in a series recently, and they're going to kind of throw the graphic up up there on the screen, but um, in terms of preparing room, right? And that's the context of, of what we're talking about. How, what does it mean to prepare him room? And there was actually, it's funny because I, I called my dad probably a week and a half ago and was just chatting through kind of what he was feeling for this month and, and, and what kind of we were talking about from a scriptural um, context. And, and it was funny because I had this idea in my mind um, specifically about a story uh, and, and we had chatted through it. And so we're going to actually go over that story today. And it's an Old Testament story that doesn't necessarily have things to do with Christmas. But kind of there's elements that I think are important for this season. But before we do, I remember I was sitting in my office at my house. And I'm sitting there. I'm typing some things up. And the Lord reminded me of a movie clip. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. And then I talked to my dad and showed it to him and showed it to a few people. And I'm like, you know, this really makes sense. So here's the deal. This is not a movie that I condone, and you guys are, some of you guys are going to see this and be like, oh my gosh, we're watching a clip from this. It's okay. Sanctified. That was a joke. (laughs) But, like I said, I wanted to show this clip and explain why I thought of this movie clip afterwards, if we could tune in. My favorite part of that clip was that we had the kind of worship instrumental going the first like 30 seconds. <laughs> but now here's the deal. The reason I showed that clip is because first off, that is a pretty funny movie. And if you didn't catch it right before he crushes his soul, yes, if he likes guacamole. <laughs> but um, but I, the reason I thought of that genuinely is I felt like I was in the room. I thought of that clip and I felt like the Lord said it's not a reorganization, it's a rewiring. And what I mean by that is, you know, what's funny is they, they rearrange their room to have room for more activities. And I'll be honest, I feel like this whole month when we're talking about making him room, this is kind of the, the pretense that we're coming at, is some of us were sitting here, we're going, okay, I need to reorganize my life to make more room for him. But the problem is, is if you reorganize your life and maybe not rewire who you are, you sh- end up shoving kind of God into where he fits and then over time just crushing him with everything that's going on. 
And what I mean by that is I just feel like a lot of the times when we come to church, there's a challenge of, okay, I'm going to spend time with God. Okay, I'm going to do things different. And a lot of it just comes down to, okay, I'm going to take this away for a little bit. I'm going to move this around. I'm going to do this. And there's not a rewiring of, no, this is actually the number one priority of my life is to be with Jesus. Not, okay, where's the margins? Where's the fat I can trim? Where's the things that I can move around that ultimately down the road will just end up crushing and, and, and getting them out of the way? But where is it right now that you're looking, and, and I think for some of us, like I said, this is not a reorganizational thing. It's a rewiring of like, okay, I've lived my life under the pretense of how can I provide? How can I love my family? How can I do all my obligations? And then how can I fit God in around those things? <laughs> and, and once again, I just want to encourage you because I believe kind of there's a, there's a correction in Christianity happening. And if you didn't notice, it happened during COVID. But there's a correction happening where we realize that it's not about butts in seats. Because the, the internal posture and disposition needed for God's people is so much more than you attending something and us hoping that you took it away. But there's a posture and a position that you must choose to live your life with every single day, every single moment, every single choice. And for some of us, it maybe sounds so vague, like, okay, how do I follow Jesus, right? And it's so, for me, it's just easy as it pertains to living in community, reading His Word, right? Sacrifice, giving. These are, there's so many different levels to it that I really don't even want to attack today. In essence, I more want to get to the point that really my, my thought process today is it's not reorganization, it's rewiring. And, and for me, I think a lot of it too is that people, some of us, we've just been bent a certain way. You know, what's funny is I remember when I first got my, my first car I ever had was a Kia Sophia. And it was a 1995, 1999 Kia Sophia, me and my buddies called it the Red Rocket for obvious reasons. My parents are in the front row. It's okay. Uh, but I bought that car at 52,000 miles and I blew that engine up at 87,000. So when I, mean the eight, when, I call it, when I mean the Red Rocket, I mean the Red Rocket, right? And I remember one day me and Bobby, uh, one of my high school best friends, he, we were really late to football practice. And if you were late, you had to run sprints. And I remember it, it, it was raining that day. And if you know, you know, when you're in high school, you don't worry about bald tires. But when it's raining, you realize, man, my tires are bald. Anybody had that moment before? Right, everybody's lying. Um, especially first snowstorm, you're like, oh, dang, it's about that time, baby. So I remember we're right at where the Jefferson Lofts are now, where you take the turn to go up to the St. Joe High School. I remember we are peeling through that neighborhood. And, and I remember I take the left turn and I'm taking it quick. And all of a sudden I'm turning, but I'm only going forward. And I remember I'm turning, we're only going forward turning. And Bobby's like, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden we just blast the curb right in front of us, pop the curb, go about 20 feet into the grass there. And we're kind of there and I'm kind of a little bit in shock, but I'm like, okay, whatever, it's fine. Put it in reverse, get to the high school, barely get there. We didn't have to run sprints. So obviously it was a victory, except I had bent my rim to the shape of an egg on the right side of my car. Now, in my mind, I'm like, this is not that big of a deal. However, believe it or not, it is. Because what I realized is that rim was so bent that the person who sat on the right side of my car, every time it would go like this. 
So it, it literally looked like they were on horseback. And so I'm driving around and I'm just thinking, okay, over time, this will be fine. No, it's not fine. Literally weeks, I'm driving around and it's just, And what's funny is, is then I don't realize, okay, well, it actually balds your tire too because it runs your tire a certain way. So I blew out that tire. I've got the person riding horseback. I'm like, okay, I maybe need to get a new rim. But the reason I tell that story is I think, once again, I think that life sometimes bends us certain ways that we don't realize are affecting us internally, mentally, and spiritually. And a lot of the times we're just, oh, we're fine, but really it's popping our tires and everybody in the car is like, what are you doing? And my question for you today is that if people, if, if the people who are around you and closest to your life could assess if you make room for God, what would their, what would their answer be? I don't know. Not just, okay, make room on your Sunday routine, but if, if you were to ask the people around you, how, how well do they make room for the Lord in their everyday walk, in their everyday life? Not just in their nine to five, but in the moment their eyes open to the moment they go to sleep. Once again, I think a lot of the times in our minds, we, we, and this is not a condemnation point at all, but this is all of us really assessing our wiring, not our organization, but our wiring and saying, God, have I wired myself in a way to not be super close? Have I wired my life in a way to maybe I, I don't have proximity needed for growth or for sustainability or for spiritual health? And I just want to encourage you today that if, if you can answer, man, maybe I've missed the boat on that, you're in the right place this morning. You're in the right place. And all we're asking for for really the rest of this service is an open heart and open mind. So let's read. Really what I'm going to talk about today is the man by the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, many of you guys are going to recognize one story of Jehoshaphat's life, but I'm going to, give the con- I'm going to actually give a context of his entire kingship. And what I mean by that is Jehoshaphat's anointed as a king, and as he's anointed, it's actually found in 2, Chron- or, yeah, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 17 through verse 20. What we see is that in some moments, Jehoshaphat's life, he is a boss. And by a boss, I mean spiritually, this dude is like, when I read this story, you're going to be like, dang, that's what that dude did? Yeah, he did. And then other parts of the story, you're just like, what? So, and, and my, my goal is, is really for us to get to the place where we realize that making room for God has to be an everyday choice because in some seasons, right, we do. And some seasons, it's just easy to not really, not even have room, but kind of put him in the corner and crush him with the bed. And so what I want to do is I want to read, and, and some of these are actually going to be verses, and other ones I'm going to kind of paraphrase chapters. But more than anything, I want to encourage us today is that no matter where God is in the context of your life, right, no offense, none of us ever arrive. Right. None of us. And that's me speaking personally even to right now. None of us ever arrive. I, th- I think that there is a greater... Uh, there's going to be a greater dependency on mindfulness of who God is and where his spirit's leading us in these days going forward because ultimately our world is craving something authentic and it's craving something real. And no offense, if you're a Christian and you're not authentic, you're not real and you don't love the Lord and truly practice him, it's just going to be easy in the world coming ahead. It's going to be easy to spot those people. Because for so long, social Christianity was just something that everybody did. But we're finding out that that hasn't changed the world. 
The thing that changes the world is the principles, behaviors, habits, and thought patterns becoming who you are to where people look at you and go, man, you're different. You know, not to speak this, but I, I don't like to give personal examples because I think a lot of the times what happens is we disassociate what the gospel can do and we go, oh, that's just Micah and he can do that. Because I'm not going to lie, I was not developed or just came out and was like, okay, I can do this. But literally last week I was with... Uh, I was with, with some buddies that genuinely I met at a restaurant because me and Grace sat down. And when we sat down, this guy said, with a mullet like that, you're not eating by yourself. <laughs> if you think I'm kidding, I'm not. And, and ultimately, we found out we were on his first date. We were on, he, he was on his first date with this chick. They're not together now. But me and him have kept in contact for four to six months. He knows I'm planning a church, messages me every single week. Where did you go to church today? We were out golfing last week. And I'm having great conversations. This dude is absolutely not saved, does not follow the Lord. But I can tell you this is because, listen, I see you. I love you. I don't, I don't, I'm not here to get you perfectly just here to be your friend I can tell you this the door that's been opened into well I don't really believe in religion well neither really do I religion doesn't change people oh really well what does or relationship adapted Jesus what do you mean well I think a lot of the times religion kind of can rob from the depth needed to actually fully understand the relationship that you can have with God well what is well, can you explain that? See, these are the things, once again, I'm trying to get us to the point of is that when we, if we can almost disassociate with, the, with the, what we've always labeled Christianity as and maybe start associating with what, we've, what the Bible has always labeled a Jesus follower as, I promise you there can be fruit in your life that is way more fulfilling than any paycheck you could ever have, any title you could ever receive, anything you could ever be a part of. But that's beside the point. We need to read the Bible. Second Chronicles 17, 3 through verse 6. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the early ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah, right? How many of you guys know, if I was going to describe the first, you know, couple months of a kingship in this way, I would venture to say it's off to a good start. It's off to a good start. I mean, the people are like, this guy's killing it, right? The Lord is with him. He's walking in the ways of David. He has great riches and honor. His heart is courageous. This is a great place to start. So now let's skip to uh, 2 Chronicles 18.1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Now pause, right? I'm going to try and like give the context of and, and this may not fit accurately, but I would venture to say this would be like your, your pastor in 2001 stepping up and saying, all right, I'm going to preach today, but before I do, I want to announce my, my daughter's marriage to uh, Osama bin Laden's daughter. Give it up, right? Like everybody would be like, what? Are you serious? Now, if you don't know, we know this for sure. The Bible says that Manasseh is the most wicked king that ever lived on the face of the planet. But I'll be honest, Ahab is just a shade underneath him. 
I mean, Ahab and Jezebel are some of the most oppressive and, and almost just vile people as it pertains to idol worship and, and truly leading a country in the ways of God. I mean, they are literally terrible people. So Jehoshaphat, right? I love the Lord. The Lord is with me. I'm walking in the ways of David. I have riches and honor. Hey, Ahab, you want to be friends? How many of you guys know? Makes zero sense. Rightfully so. Let's keep reading, right? Second Chronicles 18, it actually says that Ahab says, hey, man, can I count on you when we go to war? Now, Jehoshaphat immediately, because he knows he's in an alliance, says, yes, you can count on me. You can count on me. Once again, this is Second Chronicles chapter 18. And literally, this is hilarious because I, I just love to picture the imagery of what's going on. So what happens is, is, is Jehoshaphat goes with Ahab and he says, hey, have you consulted with any prophets? Now, back then, the time, of, the time was a lot different, meaning that essentially prophets were sought out in order to give the word of the Lord. So what would happen is, is God, the Holy Spirit, wasn't with people that was ultimately breathing the life. There wasn't a printing press where the, where the Pentateuch was widely um, dispersed. There was truly just, okay, we seek out prophets. We trust that they hear God. So what happens is, is Jehoshaphat goes to Ahab. Ahab's like, yeah, I've sought out all the prophets. We're doing great. And Jehoshaphat looks at him and goes, you sure? Because he's probably in the back of his mind. Like, Ahab, you're kind of a trifling dude. Like, you pro any of these prophets who would tell you the truth, you'd kill them. So he looks at him and he's like, slowly says, like, is there anybody else we could ask? And I love this one. Because he mentions another prophet. He goes, yeah, there's this other prophet, but he only says bad things about me. And Jehoshaphat's like, I want to hear from him, right? Now, chances are if the prophet only says bad things about you, you know, we're, we're kind of setting the table. So literally, Je they call this prophet in. The prophet starts looking at him, and he's like, hey, what do you want, Jehoshaphat? He's like, hey, I'm just wondering, you know, should we go and fight this enemy? Are we going to win? And this prophet goes, ah, you, no, you're not. And Ahab's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. This dude every single time is bashing me, is saying that, get him out. And literally the prophet looks at him and he goes, well, the Lord told me that all your prophets, he was going to put a, a, a deceptive spirit where they would lie to your face to try to get you to go to battle. And ultimately that battle is where you're going to die. So if you want to listen to him, that's fine. Like it's like the ultimate like checkmate. Right. And Jehoshaphat's like, dang, he's like in the middle, like watching the whole thing. And the best part is, listen to this. Second Chronicles, uh, in Second Chronicles, uh, verse uh, yeah, 18, the rest of the chapter, what we find out is that Jehoshaphat hears all of this and still goes to battle. Hold on. Let's, let's go back to the beginning, right? It's like he follows the Lord. He follows David. He's got great riches and honor. He's, okay, well, he aligned with Ahab. Oof, okay. Okay, he didn't just align with Ahab, but pledged his allegiance. Ooh, okay. Okay, he aligned with Ahab, pledged his allegiance, and then disobeyed a prophet that literally said, if you go to battle, you're going to die. And what happens? Ahab dies, but Jehoshaphat, he gets out. And he's still alive. Now, the best part is, is we're skipping ahead. Second, Second Chronicles 19, actually, there's another prophet that shows up. And this prophet's name is Jehu. And Jehu looks at him and goes, dude, you know you could have just died? And Jehoshaphat's like, probably at this point, is like, yeah, it wasn't my best decisions. He's like, dude, what were you doing? Once again, we're going from Second Chronicles 17. Now we're in Second Chronicles 19. He's like, dude, do not make dumb decisions. And he's like, 
He's like, remember, right? This is who you are. You're supposed to be following God, leading him. Like, you were aligned with Ahab. Ahab ends up dying in that battle. Jehoshaphat makes it out by the skin of his teeth. Jehu shows up, goes, dude, stop messing up. Now let's jump ahead because this is the Jehoshaphat that all of us know about. And what I mean by that is if you or have any kind of um, connection to Old Testament scripture, this is one of those battle scenes that like forever reigns supreme. It's like David and Goliath, and then like this is another one, and Samson and a lot of them. But let's actually read. It says, that, before we jump into verse 17, backstory, three entire kingdoms come to war against Jehoshaphat. Three entire kingdoms, Moab, Ammon, and the Mennonites. He declares a fast and a prayer time for the entire nation and presses into the Lord. How many of you guys know this seems a little bit better than the Ahab battle? We're doing a little bit better, not disobeying prophets, you know, aligning with wicked men. Like he looks and he goes, oh, there's three entire kingdoms. There is no amount of manpower that could get me out of this. The entire nation, we're going to pray and fast. And then listen to this, that God actually sends a prophet and we're going to read what the prophet's words were to Jehoshaphat because I think that these are strong verses for you to hear today in your life, whatever you're facing. Second Chronicles 20, verse 17, you will need not to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and I'll be with you. Second Chronicles 20, 20 to verse 22. And they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army, right? Now the imagery is this. They have the entire army ready to go out and Jehoshaphat they're fasting they're praying the prophets have said we're gonna we're gonna do it and Jehoshaphat says you know what let's get the entire worship band and have them go out in front of us verse 21 and when he had taken counsel with the people he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire and they went out before the army saying give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever and then when they began to sing and praise the Lord set an ambush against the men of the countries who had come out against Judah, so they were routed. Second Chronicles 20, 35 to 37. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined... Oh, actually, no, I jumped too far ahead. Right? This is a pretty cool deliverance story, right? Like, we went from super spiritual, following God, doing all the right things, everything's going great, riches, honor, and blessing, Ahab almost dying in battle, being aligned with a super wicked man to three countries are against us, we're going to defeat them all, we fast and we pray, God breaks through, the enemy's routed, and guess where we end up? Another one back over here. And what, do I, what am I trying to get at today is that what I'm trying to say is that I think the problem with making room, this is kind of, there's not really any points today, I think the problem with making, or the, the, the problem we run into with really making room for God is that we forget that we have to just be intentional about it all the time. Because if a man like this by the name of Jehoshaphat who could see incredible things that God does for him still loses sight and drifts and still loses sight and drifts and still loses sight and drifts and still loses sight and drifts, we still can too. 
I mean, one of the endings to the story is this, 2 Chronicles 20, 35 to 37. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahazai, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined them in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships. Then the son of Eleazar, son of a lot of words, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahazai, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. What we see is a constant, almost battle, almost battle of what Jehoshaphat is like, trying to let God take the reins. But every time somebody comes around with a good plan or, or somebody who wants to do something big and grand, he almost likes forgets like, oh, God's actually the one who directs my steps. God's actually the one who's in control. God's actually the one who holds it all together, not Ahab and his army and who we want to plunder. And actually, if you research this story, Ahazai and Tarshish, all they're wanting to do is just go destroy this and and return with all their loot and all their stuff. This was just a, a cash mission. And then there's another passage, and I think, you know, this gives the greatest insight into Jehoshaphat. For me, he was a great man, but he missed the mark on some things. And this is one that I think is so overlooked. It's in 2 Chronicles 20, 31 to 33. It says this, Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years. His mother's name was the Zuba, the daughter of Shelihai. He walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did, and did not turn aside from him, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their heart upon the God of their fathers. Essentially, we could sum up with Jehoshaphat's life with he's crushing it and he's missing the mark. And he's crushing it and he's walking with other people who aren't crushing it. <laughs> and, and my, you know, like I said, I didn't really have a whole lot of points. I almost just wanted to tell this story from the lens of, if we were to assess our lives, I feel like this almost is the American rhythm of following God, is that we're crushing it with him, and then this happens. We're crushing him with him, and then this isn't working out. We're crushing it with him, and then COVID. We're crushing it with him and then politics. We're crushing it with him and then work. We're crushing it with him and then marriage hits a rough spot. We're crushing it with him and then, and all I'm trying to say is that a lot of the times as we sit here and assess our lives, and I almost said it earlier today, when we look at our attention, when we look at our time, when we look at our resources, (laughs) I love this. My mom's going over to wake up, David. (laughs) David, I love you. You're still here, buddy. It's okay. If you preach long enough, you put people to sleep all the time. <laughs> hey, thank you, Mom. It's all I needed for today. But more than anything, what I wanted us to do is ask the question, right? If I'm going to assess the room of my life, is God being crushed out of it? Is he being pushed out of it? And my final story is this. In closing, I was at the airport um, a few, this was probably a month ago, and I was probably 10 people from the front of getting on the plane. And as I'm going, the 10 people away from getting on the plane, I'm literally about to get on the plane and the line stops. 
Now, if you know anything about check-ins getting on a plane, you know it's like scan the phone or scan the barcode. I mean, it's bam, 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 bam. You're like, they're cranking it out. You're getting on. And we are at a dead stop. I'm 10 people away, and I look up. There's a middle-aged woman, and she is scanning, and it's declining. Scanning, and it's declining. Scanning, and it's declining. And I'm looking like, what is going on? And she's getting a little irate. Like, I, I don't know why this isn't working. And the lady at the check-in is like, okay, well, let's try it again. And it's not working. Then they get another scanner, and it's not working. Then they try to punch it in manually. It's not working. And meanwhile, like I said, we're all backed up. I'm 10 people away. I'm looking at her. And as I'm looking at him, finally, the lady, she's getting frustrated. She's getting frazzled. She's like, why is this not working? And the flight attendant looks at her and goes, you're going to Chicago, right? Lady looks at her and goes, no, I'm not. And she goes, this is a flight to Chicago. And she goes, okay, sorry. (laughs) And I remember, I'm like, never in my life have ever had that. It's like, get me on this. Like, why is this? What is going on? It's like, you're going on. But I'm not going to lie. There are some of us right now where God's trying to close doors. God's trying to get us to go a new direction. And we're sitting there going, why can't I walk through this? Why isn't this happening how I want it to go? Why can't this just, God, make this go? And God's going, no, you're going the wrong place. You're getting on the wrong plane. You're in the wrong terminal. I don't want you going here. I don't want you doing this. I don't want you in that relationship. I don't want you in that career path. I don't want you living that lifestyle. I don't want you around those people. I don't want you in the current situation. And, And we're sitting there and we're asking for prayer and we're wondering why we're not going forward and God right now is maybe making room for people who are getting frustrated with where they're at because you're going a place that he doesn't want you to go and some of us were so frustrated dealing with why the doors are not opening and maybe that's the number one reason the door isn't opening is because the door has already been opened to where he wants you to go you're just looking at the wrong one And once again, I want to talk about making room in my final moments uh, from this lens because I guarantee Jehoshaphat, his battles were not about why the door isn't being opened. His battles were, oh my gosh, this door's locked and I'm going to try and force my way in. With Ahab, it was, well, he's my neighboring kingdom and if I'm not in a good relationship, he can come and he can destroy me right? So you know what? I'm going to intermarry. Well, Ahab, you know, we're intermarried and I can't just leave him out to dry even though God told me not to do this. So I'm going to align with him in battle even though it's a battle I know I shouldn't do because that would be the right thing to do. No, God was shutting doors, trying to reroute, trying to push it, trying to not, don't do that. And you know what he was doing? Well, this just makes sense. Well, this is just what I want. If we live our lives off of what we want. It's the farthest place from the gospel we could ever think of. If you were to ask God, Jesus, did you live your life how you wanted it lived? Man, think about how he died. Think about what he sacrificed. Do you think that that was really what he wanted when he was crying out in the garden, sweating blood, saying, God, take this cup from me? See, some of us, all we're praying for is the cup to be taken from and not necessarily realizing that the cup that God wants us to drink from could be the greatest blessing, could be the greatest source of fulfillment. We're avoiding and skirting and moving and trying to get out of every single thing 
accept obedience and we're shoving God into the corner and wondering why he gets crushed out. And today, see, making room is so much more. That, that, that's why this, this topic, I didn't really have any points because I could have gone 6,000 different directions. But I just felt like the imagery as I prayed over this service was people who are waiting in line trying to go places they shouldn't go, be around people they shouldn't be around, go in directions they were ne never intended to walk in forcing their way out of situations that ultimately God wants them in. See, the greatest lesson you could learn is the lesson God wants you to learn today. It's not us controlling outcomes, but us trusting Him with an outcome. And so today, I just pray. I'm just going to pray that out. Actually, let's all just, we're not going to stand up. Let's all just bow our heads really quick. God, I pray right now for people who are looking and trying to force their way into different situations and circumstances, looking and trying to make their own. I don't even know why I feel your heat on that, Father. I just pray right now, God, that there would just be a realization that you're maybe trying to rewire a way of thinking and living and doing. God, I pray that we look at Jehoshaphat's life who did everything right but was still wrong in a lot of the instances, but you were always faithful. God, I pray that we would be people who look at your life, Father. And we don't just make room, God, for you. You are everything. We don't just try and fit you in, God, but you truly are invited in everywhere. God, that we don't look at the tough and the difficult and, and almost pray it away from us, God, but we train our eyes to say, God, is there something I'm missing here that you're wanting to teach me? Is there a lesson here that I'm needing to learn? And just continue to just play for a second. I just feel like maybe there's one more thing. Tyler Walker, right here. Melody. You guys, can you, can you point to him? Can you nudge him? Can you stand up for a second? Yeah. I just felt like to give you guys a word. Um, I felt like uh, I was praying, and I know you guys, um, I just felt like the Lord reminded me of the passage of David putting on Saul's armor. And I felt like God was saying that he's equipped y'all for ministry, but maybe not within the context of who th what this is, but in the context of the armor that you can wear in a daily life, in your workplaces, in the people that you come into contact with. And I know I'm not necessarily um, here to, to push you into that, but I do believe that there's, there's a coming 
reckoning as it pertains to the business world and as it pertains to just people who almost quantify and calibrate how God works. And I believe God's anointed you two to work in a different way in your workplaces, in the places he's entrusted you currently. And I felt like just right now, he was almost giving you new armor, right? As David like set down the sword and picked up the sling, as he set down the shield and, and, and really just picked up his five stones to really pray into as a couple, what is it that the ministry in your world needs? And I don't know why, because I, I maybe have talked to you guys like five times. But I don't know why the Lord, I felt like, was doing that right now. But I just wanted to encourage you in that. Maybe that's a word for other people who are in the industries and looking and asking God, what is it in the ministry that I feel like I can do? And I felt like God saying, don't put on the armor of yesterday. Put on the gifting of what I've called you to do in the day you're called to live in. So I wanna pray that over you. Father, I just thank you that as we go into this time of worship, Father, that there's a realization and an expectation, God, of you using people, not in the context of, okay, what could we do more of at church, even though we do need that. But God, what is it that you could do at my workplace? Who is it that you've called me to love? Who is it that I'm not seeing that I know needs you? What is it that's going on that I know you're pushing me towards? Father, I pray right now over this couple that there's a realization and a re-emphasis on that. God, that we're not just called to, to follow you and be Christians on Sundays and we read our devotionals and worship music is cool, but God, there would be a practical life that we would be able to live in our work, in our homes, in our schools, in our grocery stores. Father, I pray and I know that you've highlighted these two right now and I just pray, God, that there would be a dropping of what we think we need to do, of how we think we need to function, of what we think ministry should look like. And God, I pray that you would empower these two to step out in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We're gonna go into a time of worship, but I just wanna encourage you if you're somebody who maybe you're a, not even feeling a little bit convicted, but you're looking and saying, man, I, I have not had a whole lot of room for the Lord. Worship is the number one way to recenter your life on making room for Him because it's an outward expression of an inward disposition. And see, some of us, we're having a breakthrough inwardly, but God's wanting a breakthrough externally. So as we sing this song, it's one of my favorites, and it is absolutely crystal clear about reliance on Jesus. I pray that we truly would get to a place where we do make room for him. Amen. Amen.